Soul Talk is a podcast dedicated to making space for Latinx storytellers and content creators across all media to chat about their art, experiences, and culture. As a branch of the Soul Project, Soul Talk welcomes you to the green room. Hello, everyone. My name is Joey Reyes. I use they, them pronouns, and I am the associate producer at the Soul Project. And I am, of course, here with... Hi, this is David Mendizabal. I'm the associate artistic director of the Soul Project, and I use they, he pronouns. Um, and we are so excited. This is our final episode of season three of Soul Talk. Um, and we are so thrilled to be uh, joined by the illustrious Mara Velez Melendez, um, our soul seven, seven, six, five, eight, seven. Who knows? Soul number soul seven. seven. Our soul <laughs> seven playwright. Lucky number um, seven. Yes, whose play Notes on Killing Seven Oversight Management and Economic Stability Board members uh, will be running at the time of you listening to this uh, at Soho Rep in partnership with The Soul Project. Yes, let me just tell you all a little bit about Mara. Uh, Mara Velez Melendez is a playwright born and raised in Puerto Rico. Her play Notes on Killing Seven Oversight Management and Economic Stability Board Members is part of Soho Rep's 2021-2022 season, co-produced by The Soul Project. Mara has a 2020-2021 Playwrights Realm Writing Fellow, uh, was, she was a Playwrights Realm Writing Fellow, and is currently a member of Ars Nova's Playgroup. Her work has also been developed at The Lark, Teatro Sea, Bregones PRTT, The Latinx Playwright Circle, and Fresh Ground Pepper. Other plays include We Built Our Homes Near Kingdoms of Animals and Magic, and oh my goodness, I meant to ask her how to how to pronounce this one. La Hasariba? Las La Hasariba. I don't I don't know. It's one word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so come for me. Um, <laughs> that colonized tongue. <laughs> I know. I'm going to, I'm going to spell it out. It's L-A-J-A-S-A-R-R-I-B-A. So my, my <laughs> anyway, all that to say, she also has her playwriting MFA from Hunter College. Wow. That was... <laughs> You got there, you know, you I got, got there. there. I got there. I, yeah, we're here. And this is, this is our, yeah. As David mentioned, this is our season finale. It's been a long time coming. We know, um, we get it. It's, <laughs> but you know, the, um, better folks, to keep them waiting, you know, exactly. Building the anticipation. Um, but we are, yes, we are very, very excited to have Mata as our season finale episode. Um, we are in the midst of rehearsals now for the show as we're recording this, but when, once this is posted, we'll, we'll be in previews. So we definitely encourage you all to come and check out the show, visit SohoRep.org or SoulProject.org. You know, everything is linked all together so you can access and find your tickets through either website and I don't think we we said this, but uh, David is directing and costume designing the show as well. Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, so I'm on my way so know, to go to the shop and sew some things. Yes, 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 yes. I, I love that you've enlisted some minions to help oh, you. Yes. I'm sure everyone is like so loving and supportive. We're all very excited. Thank you. <laughs> Um, all right. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will be right back with Mara Velez Melendez. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are here with our illustrious guest, Mara. How are you? I'm doing good. It's 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 like my weekend, my only day weekend. So I I am very 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 relaxed. I plan on watching many movies today. Um, yeah, I'm feeling good. How about you, babes? Doing well. You know, it's it's my weekend too, but. I don't really get a weekend because I'm double teaming. Uh, uh, but uh, I actually am so excited to continue to work on your show and to go to the costume shop and and make some drag magic. Yes. For our listeners, you know, we're recording this and we are in actually our final, um, we have our final rehearsal tomorrow uh, in the rehearsal room, our final run, our designer run. And so there's lots of really exciting energy as we get ready to go into tech and to share this piece with all of you, our listeners and, and everyone else. And yeah, how has it been? You know, Mara, this is your, uh, your off-Broadway debut. How has it been, you know, the experience as a whole, being in the room and 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 making theater, especially in this time, and and what it means to be making this show for you? Right. Like, you know, it's just like finally amazing to be in the room because it's been like two years. Yeah, two years. We got like we we were speaking with Soho Rep and Soul in 2020. And we were slated to open in 2020. So I, my mind just geared itself up for that because it was like also my first year after graduating my MFA. So like m- my brain got geared for like a slap of a year in terms of scheduling and calendar and then it all went away and it became this whole sea of waiting which initially we thought was going to be a couple of months and then it became a year and, and like the calendar kept moving and that gave me a lot of room like it was it was it was a weird feeling it was like a bittersweet feeling to have the show postponed so many times because it actually gave me room to think about it in the peaks and valleys i ended up thinking like even though the show was you know heavy in itself like the the pause of the pandemic uh definitely made me think of you know also myself you know the the show being about decolonizing it's like you know what what did i decolonize in that pause you know what what made me go back to it and like expanded it to that much more so like i feel the play definitely like benefited from this pause even though it was just frustrating to see it further further into the distance um but now that we're finally in the room, it feels so satisfying. It feels just so, you know, I, I, my first jobs were going to offices and like nine to fives. And I had never had the structure of a time to work creatively before. And it has been the most healthy thing. Like I wake up early and grab breakfast. I, you know, normally I would just like stay home and write, which is a very static way of living but i feel amazing i and i'm lovely to have you thank you for doing all the costumes (laughs) we love you no thank you for having me on this on this process and on this journey um i love that you're talking about that though the structure of a time to work creatively i think you know one of the things that in in all of our conversations with artists that we've been having on this show um it's really been about 
that that balance of um, being able to focus on a process and having to turn out a product, do you know? And and what does it mean to be able to just be a full artist? And I think you know Soho Rep is, does such a wonderful job in really supporting all, all of the artists that they're working with, you know, through their project number one, um, which I was a part of, and they've continued. But I'm curious, yeah, like what are some maybe rituals or routines or or what what fuels your creative process? I'm always saying ever since, you know, the hot box that was college in terms of writing plays, my brain sort of is always within those realms, just like tweaking stuff regardless of the play or, or the scenario or the, or the, or the context. Um, so like that with, reading all the time and like not reading all the time but like using my spare time to engage in different content that is mine i learned that i don't even remember who told me this but it was somebody it was one of the professors it was like yeah like not it not only with for for inspiration but also to take a rest from your medium you know i could dive into like rereading Beckett or rereading like Puerto Rican plays or, or like looking for things that I've never read that I should, but I end up you know, reading like long form essays, nonfiction, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm reading Cruising Utopia right now, which has been enlightening. Wow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like reading and movies as well. You know, movies in the sense of like, I've always grown up with movies. I was raised in my mom, you know, my mom watched Friends on repeat and like, even, you know, there was always content on the TV. Um, so like, I, and I ended up learning how to, how to separate what is a movie and what is the play and, and like, like reap the benefits from the movie in order to get into the play because the play will always be that much of non-realistic in the way of like it's it's a thing happening there in front of you but because movies try to emulate realism like you also have to think about realism in theater because they're there you know we're all in the same room so yeah definitely just like it's, it's I, I i also do take rests of content which mainly mean washing my hair everything but if i'm not doing if i'm not in the room i'm like watching something else yeah yeah, I love that. I love that. And I love you talking about the the relationship and the difference between like the experience of taking in movies and what 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 that medium does versus the theatrical and you know, uh knowing some of your other work and having seen having worked on some of your other work, you have this innate theatricality. And I'm always fascinated when we say that. What does that mean? What is an innate theatricality? I'm curious for you to keep expanding on like, yeah, like for you, what is the theatrical? What 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 is possible in that space that maybe isn't in other mediums? I mean, I I want to say that it is the very islander puerto rican context that i grew up in but also i need to recognize that a lot of my mentors and a lot of the work that i ended up connecting with um during college which was when when i met my mentors was very non-realistic 
even even with my mentor, my one of my main mentors was always Silvia Bofil, another uh, uh, Puerto Rican playwright who was my professor in a couple of classes at the UPR. And Bofil has this like amazing way of writing about the mundane, um, but and but <laughs> in a very uncomfortable and like off kilter way that'll make you feel something, something that you wouldn't necessarily like even, you know, buy in a movie because it's a movie. Um, like the way she spoke, like she has, she has this beautiful metaphor about sex. It's this tiny play called Los Martes. And it's, it's a couple that only have sex on Tuesdays. And the way she does that it's like they're very they have a dull week they're like always talking like super droll they're very bored with each other and then tuesdays come out come up and a fan turns on and they're wearing glowy silk dresses <laughs> and they're like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> and you just like it's so beautiful like the way she crops that theatricality which then, as I keep reading queer theory and queer theater and expanding on what is queerness and also my experience of queerness, like it morphs into what ended up being my theatricality, which is just a complete like embracing of the absurdity that is the Puerto Rican context especially the Puerto Rican context in New York, especially the queer Puerto Rican complex in New York, you know, the trans Puerto Rican complex in New York. Like I ended up confirming a lot of my queerness through my writing because I was always writing queer with, with, the, with, the, with the excuse that it's like, you know, influenced by Brecht or influenced by Carol Churchill, which we love, but there was something else like speaking through through the writing um and yeah it all it all really does come from a very absurd contemplation of puerto rican history but in that queerness is inherent and it has always been and that's what puerto rican queer literature has has always been so what I first considered to be a weird theatricality now is a very queer theatricality, which I'm embracing with open arms. And it has granted me so many beautiful moments. I have no regrets. And I should, I explore a lot more playwrights to write non-realistically, you know, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> yes, amen. I think that's speaking a little bit to, yeah, and you touched on this earlier, that idea of like decolonization, right? Like storytelling in a non-linear way in a way that is structured just differently and not, not in a traditional sense of how we're so used to like stories being told with like the beginning, middle and end, you know, the rising conflict, the resolution, yada, 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 like these standard, these quote unquote standards that are taught to us from a very early age, all the way up through higher education. And you, you mentioned decolonization earlier, very specifically, and uh, notes on killing is sort of built as this, drag show about decolonization. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that and where where the inspiration of writing this play came from. Wow. I feel like I've been telling this story for so many years and it's finally like happening. Um, um, so I wrote this play during my MFA 
um, I was in this class was adaptation and it was uh, my professor was Brandon Jacob Jenkins and you know Brandon loves Henrik Ibsen and what what he normally assigns for this class are the Greek tragedies and then this time around he was like no let's adapt Ibsen eventually I ended up adapting you know writing my adaptation in conflict with the source and there's this play Ibsen play this Ibsen deep cut called John Gabriel Borkman which to those who don't know is a very it's a very contemplative dark play it's his next to last play but it's about this banker that steals a lot of money goes to jail and then we pick up like 40 years after he leaves jail and then everything happens this man cries a lot in the play and then at the end like there's this very i don't even remember what it is but basically ibsen forgives like this man's like wrongdoings in all his life and at that time you know la junta npr the la promesa junta was around a year or two there like they had been around already and i was just exhausted by the by the news around it and understanding that i wasn't even in the slightest mood to forgive a banker not even 40 years after going to prison you know like I was not in that headspace. So I definitely, like, the first impulse, you know, the deadline is in two weeks. My first impulse was to, like, write a play where a revolutionary comes in and kills the board, you know? Have that moment in front of us and see what that does. And when I tried to, when I tried to find information on these seven board members, I couldn't you know, I really couldn't find much. Just like, like actual information around these humans that make them the people that are deciding around Puerto Rican budget, you know, like who are these seven and like people. Um, but I couldn't find anything. I just could find these like paragraph bios in the, in the Junta's website, which was so bizarre. And you know, I kept thinking about it and it was like, so I can't write the play I originally thought I was going to write. Um, so I'll have to make these characters up, which then became a game of role play sort of between this man and a woman, still a receptionist. And after I brought it to class and a lot of like, you know, the class responded very positively in so many ways, you know, I had, I had, um, uh friends that were like this is so erotic <laughs> i wasn't even thinking of sex throwing out the whole play you know like i was like what, what is happening here so there was definitely something sparking and it wasn't like a couple of months later that i you know in the role-playing thing in under uh, continuing to understand my queerness in new york it rapidly became a drag show you know like drag is essential to puerto rican history i was like oh of course right it's like 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 slapping the drag show just to see what it looked like and eventually my sister starts transitioning so i start seeing the two brothers you know two sisters myth in this thing all of a sudden and that's when i rewrite receptionist to be a trans girl um 
which then didn't work out, which what I was trying to say with the play. And then we flip things around in, in order to make it all queerer. And now we have the play that we have today, which, you know, the play became as queer as I was getting throughout the time. And, you know, all of these shifts in the, in the, in the shift around gender also came when I was decolonizing my mind around gender. So it was this amazing step-by-step process of growth. I, I've always definitely said that the play has written itself. That's so beautiful. That's so, so, so beautiful. And, you know, as someone who has had the gift of being a part of this process with you for so long and who's been in the room um, with you, it's such an invitation to all of us um, who are participating um, in this process to continue that work, you know, and that invitation to consider. And and I love what you were saying about the, you know, this, this, the pandemic that we all um, are still in um, and that we continue to be interrogating the systems at play in our field, in the world, the rights that are being taken away and challenged, you know, and all of these systems that are play and how we can continue to, how we actually have the tools to break them down, but we have to start with ourselves. And so to, to um, just to say thank you, because I think, you know, um, your incredibly vulnerable and deeply personal writing process has given room to so many of us who are working on this play to be able to begin or continue that own personal work and interrogate things and also bring awareness and understanding to the real circumstances and relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States of America, you know, and to put those in context, this idea of decolonizing, which I think is such a a buzzword these days, right? But no one really understands or interrogates it. And so to to have that both uh, land and body is, is just... And without saying more about the play, you know, I, I hope that that just excites audiences to really um, come and uh, uh, be invited into this journey. Yes. I mean, okay, first of all, thank you, Rabes. It's like, it has been a beautiful journey with David, not only with this play, but ever since we met and, and David understanding what I wanted to do with my work and, you know, in that way, understanding how queer I was and not really like understanding it. Um, like David always understood my work and you always had such an eye for it. I was, I'm, I, I was always amazingly like looking forward to working with you in this. Um, but yeah, no, like this, this, this thing about decolonizing is, you know, it was very weird because it's like, you need to also decolonize the word decolonize. You said it's, we've said it so much, especially you know, Puerto Ricans, like, it really just became a buzzword in Puerto Rican news because, like, people were misusing it. And, you know, like, the ways that the word was being used for years and years and years by leftist and independent, like, party members, like, suddenly meant a different thing, which meant, like, being part of the United States, which has always been looming in the conversation. But understanding that even the word 
that like the safe space, quote unquote, that we thought was the safe space, all of a sudden like got turned on us and we had to like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we have to regroup and understand that it has to be approached by a thousand different ways. No, we're good. I'm sitting with that. Yeah, I'm no, sitting with sitting, that. Sitting in these thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right there's because like my mind my mind is going like a million miles a minute just like trying to like take take that all in and and yeah i think the the more that we continue to have this conversation about like queerness and expansiveness and you know sort of going beyond binaries black black and white and and i think less of like the gray area embracing the gray area but like more of like seeing all the colors that are available to us in the world um and recognizing them um like i even i even think i think of you know and this idea of holding multiple truths like that that there are two things that can exist at once um i'm on this kick lately of of being very interested in the idea of the multiverse and so like I know, I know Debbie and I recently watched uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I think like just hearing you talk about what you, what you just shared, Mata, and thinking back on watching that film and also, you know, how you were talking about, you know, how, how film can sort of influence the way we tell stories in theater and everything. But there's something inherently queer about that because of, of just even like, there's something about that film that feels queer to me i don't know if the daniels identify as queer in any way or i'm not aware of anyone like any of the actors that may identify as queer in any way but the structure of the story feels queer and and i and i hope people who've seen it maybe like can agree if not that's just like how i'm feeling but yeah this 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 um just touching more on on this idea of non-linear storytelling but even that there's still like there's sort of like there is that line that thread that's coming through but then there's like all this stuff happening around it at the same time well it's a multiplicity of truths that exist at the same time and, and i love what you say mara and joey about that and it just makes me think of you know my my own personal journey as who i am and feeling when I was young, this inability to reckon the multiple truths, right? An inability to understand both my queerness and my Latinidadness, my, my Puerto Ricanness, my Ecuadorianness, you know, my like all of these complexities of these identities, especially I think in a field and in a world that wants to box you in in one way, right? It's like you are this or you are that. Check the box. Where do you fit in? How do you sort of neatly fit into this digestible idea that others you, right? Versus breaking that open and sort of saying they all exist simultaneously simultaneously in me at any variety of degrees at any variety of different moments you know and its palatability is is irrelevant you know for you but rather um an expansiveness of uh an identity and a truth and i do think that that and what you're talking about the multiverse is such an inherently queer idea you know cruising utopia is like like definitely sprinkled this throughout but i don't know if this idea comes from cruising utopia but tiktok has helped me realize the idea of queer time you know Great time is like how to, how how we have learned time to be and how we consider time to be X or Y way how we 
grew up thinking that time is, but queer people will inherently have a different conception of time, right? Because we come out, we like are born a second time without any Christian connotations. You know, it's like a very identity, like born again moment. Baptism. And, and, the, <laughs> and, the, and the clock resets, you know? So like, I, I definitely have felt that like intergenerational connection of like, well, wait, you started in this timeline and this timeline now, and I'm in this timeline. And even, even talking with my partner, um, who's also non-binary, like very aware of this queer time thing, when they read the play, they see time in like the images, you know? Ooh. How Lolita represents a certain time, how the gun represents a certain time, how the queer narrative represents a certain timeline. And they are just like all colliding into this very pressure chamber in the middle of Wall Street or inside a mind. It's very cosmic. (laughs) Very cosmic. Very cosmic, very gay, very zodiac. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, um, Part of it too, and these these are just like the things that are coming to me in the moment as we're having this conversation. So forgive me if I did sound crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I feel like the idea of autonomy, right, um, is is something that is is held so near and dear for queer and trans people, right? The autonomy to be liberated from these heteronormative ideas of existence, right? To actually claim your identity as a queer person, as a trans person, as a non-binary person, you know, these, these things that don't exist in, in a world or exist that are breaking through in a world that is not created with them in mind. Um, and very particularly in this moment, and, and it's liberating, right? It's like, it's a, it's, it's a piece of liberation that you get to hold on to. And especially, especially when you're considering gender affirmation procedures, right? That bodily autonomy as well. And which is obviously a very hot topic in this very moment. Right. And so I think, I think I just, I, I see, I see the future where like, the queer revolutionaries are the ones that are going to like push us forward towards that like liberation. Right. Like this is, yeah, I'm very, I'm very, I'm having sort of this like elated moment right now where I'm like experiencing the play again. I just like, you know, I was, I was, I was with in the room with you all last week and seeing the, the, the stumble through of the show and obviously having read it and being able to like finally see it up on its feet. I'm like so excited for, for people to, to, to to witness this and also like and speaking back to to david saying how how this particular show has provided people with opportunities like it's very small on like the grander scale but as we mentioned david is also designing the costumes and because i was in the city i got to like go and help david out with some of the costume building and like i've never done anything like that before and it's been something that i like have wanted to be able to like participate in, but, and to just, for me personally, to know that I like got to contribute to the show in that very specific way outside of like my regular role on, on the producing team um, that I get to like sit there and watch the show and be like, Oh my God, I like cut those appliques. Oh my yeah. God. I like <laughs> sewed together that hat, you know, like that sort of thing is just like really fun and cute for me. <laughs> you know, when you're a baby, you know, it's like, I, I, 
of course, like my name is written on the play and I've been working on this a long time, but I definitely never, I, I always understood that this was never going to be a complete thing as it is with all my plays until it got the team around it, which was always like, I always knew it was going to be y'all. And it was just like the, the, the anticipatory like anxiety of like finally to get into the room and like have your hands have your thoughts have your notes you know like notes on notes notes um, on notes <laughs> but um oh thank you joey also for that i i am very excited that this play has like you know has managed to bring a lot of people together even though the pandemic continues to be the pandemic we have like you know we're we care about each other in that way that we want to be careful with each other. Even in the, in the baseline, you know, you know, COVID pandemic baseline. Um, But I am elated to have you here. Thank you. And just speaking about the team, you know, it's really exciting. We have an incredible cast, you know, Samuela La Perdida and Christine Carmela both making their off-Broadway debuts, um, an incredible design team with Gerardo Diaz, who I know you went to school with back in Puerto Rico, Kate McGee, uh, S.B. Proctor, Aaron Neely, uh, 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 Patricia Marjorie, like I'm missing people, Tanise Johnson, uh, Tanise Sylvia Johnson, you know, what? It, just an, an incredible team, our, our stage management team, Genevieve, Narissa, and Joseph, like it's just been such an uh, incredible, wonderful uh, uh, group of people who have been gathered together um, to make this piece happen. Um, our dramaturg, Javier, who who's just been such an incredible, I think that's also been really wonderful is to see um, the ways in which, again, as I'm saying, the invitation that you have have as a writer and the philosophy um, that both Soho Rep and Soul Project of, of valuing artists and, and centering the work um, has really created a space in which we can, uh, uh, that the work can grow, you know, and can, and can provide for so many people. So it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, as we get ready to go into tech, uh, I know when you are listening to this, we will have survived tech. We will be in previews. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's it's there's so much joy, and I also think that is uh, an inherently uh, queer revolutionary thing too. Is joy, joy leading the process, you know, joy leading the revolution. Yeah, joy and fun, you know, like it's, yes, the play. Once the play became a drag show, even though it was like you know very like exploratory in the beginning once it became a drag show it was very clear how this play was going to be fun you know it's like talking about it's like okay i can finally talk about this theme and make it palatable to myself therefore like it could be maybe palatable for other people um so i i it's just been a blast and yeah having minds like having minds like gerardo and javier just like Christine, it's like herself, like, you know, Gerardo, um, Gerardo and Javier I know from back home, but Javier I know through my mentor, Silvia. Um, they're like, they're, they're, you know, I always saw them as like a, the next gen, the, the previous generation of playwrights, which were trying to foster like my generation. Um, so working, finally working with Javier has been lovely. Gerardo, you know, understanding the head out of the good, like I met them like back in college and now I'm seeing their full work, like in support to my words. It's just 
the most amazing feeling. But also, I mentioned Christine on in the fact that we found her through TikTok. Yes. <laughs> the way in which we curated this team has been so, so lovely. But yeah, finding Christine through TikTok was a very weird serendipitous moment, definitely. And also like an, an algorithm moment. It's like, how deep are y'all in my hard drive? Yes. And shout out to Stephanie Yankwit at TBD, who just really put together this fire cast and, and led such, you know, I remember on March 13th, 2020, being on a casting call with you and Stephanie and Moropi and Moropi being like, I gotta go. Uh, and it was like, we were like, do we keep talking? Like, what do we do? Do you know? Um, and since then, you know, she was so supportive in 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 doing that, that legwork to, you know, find uh, uh, the talent that we needed and, and, you know, other actors who have been a part of the process who also were so generative and supportive in bringing um, knowledge to the piece. So. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I just can't, I mean, like, I, I, yes, you know, I'm biased because I am directing and designing the piece, but like, even if I wasn't, I'm just like, what an exciting, thrilling uh, uh, story that, you know, even in the the brief description, I'm like, I don't know that I've seen anything like this. And uh, what an exciting way to um, continue this process of reemerging um, as a field and and making space for the kinds of stories and voices that we need to hear. Um, and even for the soul project for us uh, uh, to continue pushing that bounds of what makes, you know, a, a Latine quote unquote play and who are the voices um, that 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 we as a community need to be um, hearing from. So it's 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 really you know, get your tickets. That's all I can say. <laughs> Soul as well. Soul was initially, I think I came, you know, I'm initially learned your name to be through the Soul Project. And like, finally, it, it, I always understood the Soul Project to, you know, they're there and there will always like be support for like my community as well through them. But I kind of never pictured me like working with soul because I always thought that my plays, you know, I never knew where my plays like fit in because they were like so exploratory in that way. But having both soul in a co-production with Soho Rep has been a dream that I, it was just like different dreams that I manifested into one. <laughs> and I have loved, yeah, I have loved having you, Joey, around. It's just such a safe space. Like, Jacob, I shout out to Jacob, love you. Even Isabel, even Isabel, just, like, like working out the rooms, the rehearsal studios, like, yeah, it's, it's, I feel so supported and so, like, welcomed into the family of New York theater, because I also, you know, I've, I've been here since 2017. It isn't like I've been over here all my life, so starting over over here was a daunting intimidating experience but i've managed to attract the people that are always going to like be on the other side with a little hug you know <laughs> and that's always so good thank you thank you thank you we love you so much um as we are winding down here uh time flies um, I wonder if there's there's any like final words that you would love to share with our listeners, any any musings, any advisory, any, you know, 
just a little a little nugget to leave people with get some sleep <laughs> get your rest like definitely and like i like throughout writing this play and like like really understanding how loud it is in in a lot of ways i have also come to my to the realization of how important silence is to me, you know, just in opposition of what I'm seeing that I'm writing in the page, which definitely works, but how am I growing from it? Like I have valued silence. I valued my time away from the work because all of a sudden, you know, my writing has become work, you know, it, like I said, it become the nine to five, which I'm adoring, but I'm adoring because I can definitely see it for what it is and like not let it consume me. You know, tomorrow will always be another day. Like, definitely go home to sleep after rehearsal. <laughs> um, but, and and your work is always going to show that, you know, your mind's not going to, your mind's not going to be ready to, for rewrites at empty, you know, like, definitely value your rest. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's just such, such real advice in this uh, uh, sort of, uh, grinding world do you know um you work your best when you are rested and yeah yeah <laughs> i'm like yeah totally or caffeinated rested or caffeinated or both you know <laughs> yes and yes two things can exist at the same time right <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Mara, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today on, on your day off, your one day off. Um, we so appreciate it. And we are so looking forward to celebrating you through this run and even more so on opening night. Um, and we encourage everyone, obviously, to come and check it out. We will uh, we will be linking way the Mata social media in the description. You can connect with Mata and stay in touch with her and follow her work um, and and her future. Thank you all so much, and we will be right back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We've just ended our interview with Mata. Um, what can I say? <laughs> just always a joy, always a joy. And always, I don't know, just she speaks and it's like, I love that moment where she was like, are, are y'all still there? And we're like, no, we're just like deep in thought. Like <laughs> yeah. you blew our minds. Hold on. Give us a second to catch up to your brilliance. Yeah. <laughs> she, she thought that we froze. Yeah. She was like, yeah, y'all still there? Y'all still there? I know. Um, yeah, yeah. She's no. always been that way. I've, I remember, I think I met her in 2018 for the first time um and that was yeah um I, I yeah maybe yeah. i think so i think that might have been pre pre me even being with soul project we got connected somehow or or i yeah i honestly don't even know time is sort of irrelevant at this point but i my point is is that she is that's just like her it's so comforting speaking to her and like you feel so at peace and at home and just like like you're with someone that gets you. I feel like totally. that is just like a gift that is bestowed upon you. That's, you know, I, you can certainly work towards that, but like to have that natural born gift of someone who's just so like, I don't know what it is. It's yeah, so, just it's so wonderful. Open and delightful and, and, and lovely. And 
you know, sometimes makes no sense and all of the sense at the exact same time. <laughs> I remember the first time she told me, she was like, it's going to be a drag show. I was like, what? And she went, she told me this whole beautiful thing, right? And I was like, okay, girl, whatever. Like, I just was like, I don't get it, right? And then the magic is made and you're like, oh my gosh, I, how did you see this? And I love hearing her talk about her sense of theatricality, this embracing the absurdity of the Puerto Rican context in New York City. That is her, her theatricality. Because like, it, it, it's there, you see it, this, this sort of equal absurd theatricality and realism mm -hmm. that is the sort of true complexity of, of the Puerto Rican context, you know, mm -hmm. um, especially for her. And so it's, it's just so, so, so lovely and, and truly, again, like I know I keep saying I'm biased um, and I want you to come see the show, but like <laughs> to our listeners, it's really... Um, it's a wild time. It's a fun ride. And, uh, you know, uh, Sarah Benson, who was at uh, the run through yesterday, she, she, you know, she said she was like, it's an invitation to us all. And mm -hmm. I loved that. I, you know, you, when you're so inside of something, you don't see what it is. And then you get these gems from these um, brilliant artists and leaders who are like, this is what I see. And you're like, that's what I want it to be. Yeah, let's do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And and yeah, the idea of the absurd in the realist, I think like that's the point, right? I think, um, or or to me yeah. personally, um <laughs> when I when I'm experiencing the show, I'm like, oh yeah, these like this is ridiculous. This way that this way of life that has been determined and created by by people that has been completely made up right these ideas that we have about gender and and um you know the way the way that on uh, money and finance power and, and, and identity, power and identity everything yeah, yeah how it's all you know these these quote-unquote standards like it's all so absurd right um and it's even more absurd that we that there that that there's insistence on adhering to those things when like life can be experienced more fully when you sort of just embrace the expansion of your idea of what it means to exist right Absolutely. um and i think that's what i love so much about the show is that it really like it really puts you through it <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> in those ideas Absolutely. um so y'all need to come and watch the show if you're in and around new york city between may 17th and june 19th you can get your tickets at sohorep.org there are also affinity nights that will be taking place throughout the run of the show june 3rd i believe is latina affinity night if i'm not mistaken and then yes. june 10th uh, a week after that is LGBTQ plus affinity night. So nice. come and Kiki, come have a good time, uh, work the runway. Um, yes. And if you are Latina and LGBTQ, come twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, coming twice is better than coming once. So. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. And, canceled. And, uh, You're canceled. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, on that note, fire me. Um, <laughs> on that note, thank you all for tuning in to our season finale here yes. of season three of Soul Talk. This was such a really fun episode to be a part of. And yeah. Until next time, we don't know exactly when. Be on when. the lookout for more. Yeah, exactly. Be on the lookout for more. You'll stay in touch, and you'll you'll know when that's coming. 
Uh, thank you all. Have a great summer. Soul Talk is a branch of the Soul Project, a national theater initiative dedicated to producing the work of Latinx playwrights in New York City and beyond. Co-hosted by David Mendezabal and Joey Reyes. Edited by Ira Zacarias. You can follow us at www.soulproject.org, on Instagram and Twitter at Soul Project NYC, and on Facebook at The Soul Project. Thank you for listening. Thank you.